Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we prepare you to praise. I'm the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm the Reverend Ben DeHart. Join us for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and outlandish pop culture as we break down the collect of the day for the coming week. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. We're back, our triune pod. We've got a big announcement. It's coming from Nick Kamiski. Nick, what's up? All right, Ben. Well, um, yeah, I have accepted a call to be the rector, the senior pastor of Church of the Apostles in Raleigh, North Carolina. So um, is that, who is that? James Taylor, Carolina on my mind? I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, regardless, my wife, Megan, and I, uh, later this summer, sometime in mid-July, are going to be going to Raleigh, where I'm going to be serving in this new capacity. Uh, I'm super excited about it. Uh, this has been the works, as you might expect, for a little while. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm sad to leave our church here in Austin. We love Austin. We love Church of the Cross. I don't know how many people from Church of the Cross listen to this, but if you are, we love you and we would dearly miss you. But um, we're also really excited. And I feel like, you know, the where I have been over the last three, four, five years, professionally and personally, I feel like has been working towards accepting this kind of call, you know, which is a big step up for me, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. Congratulations, man. That, that is big. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. We just, yeah. The pod, the pod will continue. Uh, but um, well, you know what, Ben, we should, I have <laughs> We're, the, the reason he's taking this call folks is we just, we want more listeners, so, <laughs> more congregations, more people. That's that is not true. Reason. That is not true. Yeah. The tail that wags the dog. No, but um, yeah, we are what we're about halfway through the year, halfway through the colics. We are. Um, and we, uh, so we, this, this, the, the conceit of this podcast is time bound. So we do need to come up with a new, premise for next year we have some ideas ben and i but if you dear listener have some thoughts about what you'd like to hear is that okay if i do this in real time yeah Yeah. so maybe you know as the kids say slide into our dms and if you have any suggestions of what we might discuss over the next year some liturgical element uh, maybe something from the bible or theology if there's just something like ah we'd love to get your guys's perspective on x or y or here's a way of framing the pod we would be all ears is that is that fair to say i think it's fair to say Okay. All right. That's enough throat clearing, Ben. Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. So friends, we are our triune pod. So while other people, they shy away from Trinity Sunday, we are all about it because it's in our name. So here, I'm going to pray it. Then Nick's going to enlighten you on it. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given to us your servant's grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign one God forever and ever. Amen. That's a bit of a mouthful, Nick. What what do you do with all that? That is a bit of a mouthful. Well, we're going to get into the actual prayer, but first, just some context for folks who maybe have not familiar with Trinity Sunday or don't even exactly know what we're talking about. Um, In the church calendar that is observed by Presbyterians and Catholics and Lutherans and the Orthodox and Anglicans, um, it is a, there is a day set apart in the Christian year. It's the Sunday after Pentecost where we celebrate and name our God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the celebration of Trinity Sunday stretches back 
a long time. It was first approved by a pope, uh, Pope John the 22nd in 1334. And what this day is, in a word, is to acknowledge that our God is both one and three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, you know, uh, I think you have a good quote about this, how like if there's a kind of performative thing that preachers do, like, I don't know what to say on Trinity Sunday. This doctrine doesn't make any sense. But you want to push back against that, right, Ben? What's that quote you were mentioning? I do, I do. So, uh, you know, I, I doubt she listens to the show, but Kara Slade, she is uh, the, you know, Episcopal, you know, I guess, <laughs> professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. And she tweeted this the other day. Few things frustrate me more than the inevitable jokes about making the associate preach on Trinity Sunday. I mean, come on, y'all. The identity of God is shown to us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. It's the best news. It means that we know who God is and that God is mercy, grace, and healing. This is easy to preach. Don't try to explain the doctrine. Just preach the ding-dang gospel. Amen, Kara. <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah, that's pretty dope. Uh, that's a great quote. Um, yeah, so, okay, so the prayer itself, um, we ask God, well, we first ascribe to God a uh, profound truth that God has given us grace to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity. So there is this obvious mystery at the heart of our conception of God. But what the prayer says is that this is a gift that we've been given grace to acknowledge that God is in some ways, both three and one, and in the power of God's divine majesty to worship the one God amidst the three. As I was preparing for this podcast, I was reminded of uh, something that really stuck with me uh, from my time in seminary. I don't know how many things I would say really stuck with me, but this really did. And it was this notion that the, uh, the professor was kind of trying to do the ge genealogy of the Trinity. And what he, the point that he made was that the, the church fathers did not start uh, with kind of on the conceptual plane. They started with experience. And the doctrine of the Trinity emerged out of the fact that people were experiencing God in three persons. God the Father was kind of assumed that was the bedrock, you know, here is where the Lord your God is one, but they also experienced quite obviously the divinity of the Son as evidence in the resurrection from the dead. So that, okay, well, it's not just the one God the Father, there's also God the Son who is divine. But then they also, you know, dear to my heart, experienced the divine spirit. There is God in spirit um, that is active and within us in these profound ways. And so they had to reckon conceptually with how three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, could indeed be one. But it really like, you know, to quote Paul Zoll, it went from the ground up, right? And so when we think about the Trinity, we're not trying to consolve conceptual puzzles. We're trying to say we experience God in three persons. And that has to, that is like at the core of what it means to be a Trinitarian Christian, that God, the father orders all things that God, the son accomplished all things and God, the spirit applies all those things for our benefit and on our behalf. Yeah. There's a Roman Catholic deacon written a book called the love that is God. I think his name is Frederick Christian Bowersmith. And he talks about in his new book that God did not start loving when God created the cosmos, when God created humanity. It's not as if like there was something that God wasn't used to and then had to get used to. God has been full of love always. And we see that in this bond of love between the father and the son 
by the spirit. And only one other thing I wanted to pick up on with what you're saying is this isn't like some new idea either. That I mean, Paul Zoll points out that the pre-Socratic philosopher Parmenides talked about the one and the many, both as opposites and as unity. Um, and what he says is that essentially the history of God's revelation in the Bible ratified this thinking. So I think sometimes we're like, well, does this have any kind of theological or philosophical standing? And, and, and we see this even before scripture. Yeah, man, that's good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, okay. So we say, God, you've given us grace to confess that you are indeed triune. And then we, our prayer is that we would be kept steadfast in this faith and worship. So we're saying, you know, Lord, we want to worship you as you indeed are as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So keep us in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory. So there is this kind of dynamism at the heart of their prayer where our faith, I know you don't like this language and maybe you don't like it for good reason, but where our faith is likened to this kind of journey. And we're saying at the end, I want to be kept safe and secure in the everlasting arms. Um, one way, I don't know if this is always a, a, a good framing for theological questions, but let's try it out in this one. One way to think about the Trinity is to ask, well, what would we lose if we were to say, well, you know, maybe God is not trying and maybe God is just one in three modes. You know, I definitely heard the, um, the modalism analogy of what is it? Steam, water and ice, you know, so maybe God is indeed just one. What would we lose if we lose the divinity of the sun or if we were to lose the divinity of the spirit? And I'm thinking here of that um, wonderful book by the former Bishop of South Carolina, Fitzsimmons, Allison, The Cruelty of Heresy, where he points out that when we think about doctrine, we're not just talking about ideas. Doctrine is significant to the degree that it saves us and that it heals and restores our soul. And so if we lose the divinity of the sun, what, what is lost there? Well, what grounds do we have to rest objectively in the hope of Christ's saving work? If Jesus was just the kind of a, an appearance of God or a mode of God, if he in and of himself did not um, bear the cost of our sins and rise from the dead, how sure would our hope be? And if the spirit is not divine, if the application of Christ's benefits to us are just some kind of instance of God, but is not God himself, how sure can we be that the work that we perceive God to be doing or that the work God is indeed in fact doing, whether we perceive it or not, will endure? So the doctrine of the Trinity safeguards the different means by which God saves us, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, so I think there is, I might not be doing a great job explaining this, but I do think there is something um, that is conceptually important because it grounds our experience of God in truth. Yeah, it feels like the kind of a mystery is kind of all the rage right now, and, and for, for good reason. Uh, but if we're, if we're just left there, uh, it's kind of a bummer. And the the profound truth of the Trinity is that what we see in Jesus is God. What we see in his character is God's character. As Kara said, it's mercy, grace, healing. It's not like, well, this is an instance of God or like, we don't, we don't really have access to God, God's self. And so we see something kind of in between and there's a lot of ambiguity there. No, this is who God is. Yeah. God is mercy, grace, and healing. And that's for you and for me. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of in line with that, uh, there is a, um, a former professor of like pro 
practical theology or preaching at Regent College in Vancouver, Daryl Johnson. Are you familiar with Daryl Johnson? I don't know if that's yeah in your world. In my world, he's very celebrated, rightly so. He is one of the best preachers. His books of sermons or his actual sermons are just incredible. And he has this quote about the Trinity that I think it gets at this. The God who claimed us for himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not just Father, not just Son, not just Spirit. God is God for us. Father, God is God with us. Son, God is God in us. Spirit. So the only way to know that God is for us with us and in us is in this doctrine of the Trinity. And if you lose that, then you may not be assured that God is for you in the way that the father is for you or with you in the way that the son is with you or in you in the way that the spirit is in you. Yeah. One one other thing this made me think of uh, on this cast, we have pushed back against uh, this kind of, I mean, it's not that we don't believe in it. It's just the, the kind of James K.A. Smith, like, you know, if you, the Aristotelian, if you do things enough times, you'll become that, you know. Yeah, fake it, fake it to you. Fake it. I don't know if James it. Smith doesn't say that exactly, but yeah, yeah. yeah that, but and the way that, that idea gets practiced, of course. Yeah. And for some things, obviously, we fake it till we make it, and that's good news. But in this collect, uh, there does seem to be this, and, and with the doctrine of the Trinity, um, it's kind of reclaiming, we're reclaiming the idea that ideas matter too. I think there's kind of been a, uh, ideas don't matter as much as we think they do. It's, you know, practices. Well, I mean, let's hold them two together. I mean, yeah, ideas totally. do matter. And I think the title of Fitzsimmon Allison's book, which is an excellent book that you brought up, The Cruelty of Heresy. It's, you know, when you get bad ideas in your head about who God is, about who we are, uh, that affects us. Uh, Bad ideas have consequences, and oftentimes they're cruel. Uh, so these good ideas about God provide us with assurance and also it oftentimes affect our practices, affects our praxis. Uh, so we're, we're, we're trying to change the narrative here. <laughs> yeah, you know, just, you know, some meager ambitions for a, <laughs> a very, very mildly acclaimed podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the final thing I would say, and I, this is, I want to be constructive here um, because I do want to say something about the kind of the way uh, unity and like the the one and the many are kind of reconciled in the doctrine of the Trinity. I know um, you're probably aware of this too. There's been a lot of pushback amongst the kind of professional guild of theologians about the kind of social doctrine of the Trinity, the way that like we experience all these problems here about unity and diversity. And so we project that up, like that's what the Trinity is, you know, it's the dance. And I think there is probably some good pushback on that. But I do think what we experience, I mean, just think about what we're experiencing right now in our nation, our different conflicts around the world. Um, it is very hard to hold that tension together. You know, we are we are one nation comprised of many different people with many different traditions. And it there you can you can either you we always just dance between our individuality being subsumed by the unity um, or kind of being shipwrecked by our own individual <laughs> individuality, right? And um, the Trinity, I'm not saying this is all that it is, but it does model the way that three can be one and one can be three. And I frankly think at this point, it's, this, is a, this is something that we, I think, more look forward to and hope than we expect to experience in the present. I think our present tense experience is always going to be torn between individuality and unity. We can have measures of those things being reconciled, but oftentimes those things are in fact 
and tension. And we just have to embrace that tension and live in the midst of that tension. But there will be a day, you know, when we see the Lord and we are in the new creation, when people from many different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities do not experience those differences as um, as grounds for disunity, but there is in fact this like wonderful unity that we experience by our incorporation into the son who is, you know, loving the father, the father is loving him and the spirit is that bond if you use the Augustinian thing. So anyway, I just think that is something that we can really look forward to and champion the possibility of here and now, but also kind of eschatologically proclaim as a possibility. How's that yeah. for some $10 words yeah. to end the project? Yeah, and I think the promise of all of this, the promise of the resurrection, the promise of the Trinity, is that no work done toward that aim is in vain. Um, mm, as much as we good. don't really see good. Yeah. the results we want. Though sometimes, you know, the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit is real, and you, we catch glimpses of it, we catch moments of it. Um, but yeah, because this is true, none of what we do toward this aim is in vain. Amen. Well, almighty and everlasting God, you have given us, you've given to us your servant's grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory. O father who with the son and the Holy spirit live and reign one God forever and ever. Amen. about that episode of our triune pod now that you've been prepped for praise won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review we promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming so be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite podcast